Well, when Jesus entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, there was this, there was this buzz of excitement in the air. An amazing thing had happened that were causing people to take note of Jesus. He had been in and out of Jerusalem a lot of times, but on this particular day, a crowd followed him. In fact, one of the religious leaders said in John chapter 12, the crowds going before him and the crowds coming after him, one religious said it looked like the entire world was following after Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. The next day, a large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, verse 13. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus rode into Israel on a donkey that day. That was in fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy in chapter 9, verse 9, rejoice greatly. This was given 500 years before Jesus rejoiced greatly. Daughter Zion, daughter shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, on the fowl of a donkey. And they were shouting this word, Hosanna. The word literally means save, but by this point, it was, it, was a, it was a word of praise. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In the crowd that day, there were two groups of people. There were those who wanted to see Jesus. That was one group. And there was another group of people, and they wanted to see Jesus dead. They were the religious leaders. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, one group was praising him. And while they were praising him, another group was plotting and so today on this Palm Sunday, I want us to consider <clears throat> the background of that triumphal entry. Why was it? Jesus had gone into Jerusalem all these times. Why was it on this particular day, the day, the Sunday before the cross, why was it that so many people had gathered to see Jesus? So take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 11 as we set the context for the triumphal entry. The story takes place in a little village about two miles from Jerusalem. Chapter 11, verse 1, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment, perfume, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now it's interesting, John is going to tell us the story of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, and wiping his feet with her hair. He's going to tell us that story in chapter 12. But here in 11, he gives us a preview, and here's why. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written in 50 to 60 AD. And each of the gospel writers had told the story of Mary. And so when John is writing his gospel, it's 90 AD. So he's assuming that his readers have read the other Gospels, and he's assuming that his readers already know about the extravagant worship of Mary. And so he sets Lazarus in the context of a story they already know. So I'll ask you a question. You're tired, you're exhausted, and you just want to hang out with some friends. There are a group of friends where you don't have to answer a lot you don't have to answer a lot of questions you can be yourself you can relax 
you can enjoy them. Think about who those friends would be. Well, for Jesus, it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It was a family that he liked to hang out with. We will read later, he loved them. He loved being around them. Fully God, fully man. He needed time to relax. And here's a family that he just really loves to interact with. Well, like every family has difficulties and tragedies, this family was no exception. We read in verse 1 that Lazarus became ill. So Mary and Martha did what you and I would have done. They, they sent a messenger to go tell Jesus. Jesus was about 20 miles away at this time, and they sent a messenger to go tell Jesus Lazarus was sick. And they expected, like you and I would have, Jesus to drop everything he was doing and get back to Bethany and not only be with them in their time of, of, of challenge, but heal Lazarus. He'd healed others. They had seen that. They knew that. They believed he was God. They believed in him. So they wanted him to come back and heal his friend. Notice how Jesus responds. Look at chapter 11. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. So Jesus says three things here. First of all, this sickness, the end of this sickness, will not end in death. Secondly, God's going to be honored through this. And then thirdly, I'm going to be honored by this. But then having said that, Jesus says something very surprising. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this is a great relationship with them. And when he heard that Jesus was ill, he dropped everything and hurried back so he could heal him, right? Not what he does, is it? It's interesting. Why would Jesus do that? He stayed two days longer. When he heard he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where Jesus was. So here's his great friend near death. He stays two days longer. He doesn't go. Now, how do you think the disciples responded to that? What do you think they thought when Jesus said, nah, not going back to Jerusalem right now? They were extremely relieved because the last time the disciples and Jesus were in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him. They tried to kill him, and they got out of town. And the disciples knew it was not going to be a good situation the next time Jesus went into town. That's why they were not happy when, in verse 9, Jesus said, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus had just told them, we're going back, and they didn't like it. And then he gives this kind of this, this parable, not 12 hours in a day. What's Jesus saying there? Jesus is simply saying, guys, it's all in God's plan. If we go back, it's all in God's plan. It all happens according to his timing. Many times he went in Jerusalem, and Scripture says his time had not yet come. But now his time had come. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that so many people live in 
kind of a bubble of fear, frightened that if they move out of their comfort zone, something is going to happen to them. I got news for you. It's all in God's plan. One of these days we're going to die. You're going to be in your comfort zone or out of your comfort zone. But we're all going to die. And so we can live without fear, knowing that when we're following the Lord, we're where he wants us to be. Look at verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples didn't understand that. They thought if he was sleeping, then that would be a good thing for his illness. But then verse 13, now Jesus had spoken about his death. but They thought that meant taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go. I love what Thomas says. Remember doubting Thomas? He always seems to have a little dark cloud hanging over him, doesn't he? So Thomas called the twin, his fellow. You can kind of hear the Eeyore voice coming here, right? Let us go with him also. We're going to die with him. He's going to die. Well, let's die with him. When the disciples and Jesus arrived in Bethany, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. In that day... You were buried the same day you died. I was in North Africa a few years ago talking to a family. Uh, the, the children and the mom had become Christians. The dad was still uh, a Muslim. And uh, the, the family had gone on a trip. They left early in the morning. The dad died suddenly of a heart attack mid-morning. And when they got back at night, he was already buried. He didn't get to say goodbye. He was gone. That's how it happened in that day. So Lazarus is dead. He had died when the messengers were on the way to see Jesus. Jesus waited two days, returned on day four. Now, many people were in Jerusalem because of the Passover, and Bethany was only a couple miles away, and so friends had come out to comfort the family. And when Martha heard that Jesus was there, she went out to meet him. She was the first one to go. We've learned of Martha in other Gospels. She is a type A personality. She is busy. Mary was a little more reflective, you'll remember. And once that Martha heard Jesus was there, she heads out to see him. And look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Isn't it amazing? When a tragedy hits, we always start with that if only, right? If only it had gone to the doctor sooner. If only the doctor had run the right test. If only they hadn't taken that flight or that route to work. Martha's if only is direct. Jesus, if only. You had been here. You are our friend. We believe in you. We trusted you. We sent messengers to go find you. If only you had responded. You're the son of God. Our brother Lazarus would not be dead. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary took that 
as something we would say to someone who loses a loved one, right? And we say, trying to comfort them, you're going to see them again. That's how Mary takes us. She said to him, verse 24, I know. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I'm missing him now. I'm talking about now. You could have healed him now. And then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection. Talking about the resurrection of the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's not just a question for Mary, is it? It's a question for every one of us. I'm the resurrection and life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe that? I mean, do we really believe that? Because if we do, it changes the way we live today. Do you believe that? Jesus told Martha to go get Mary. And when Mary heard that Jesus was there, it seemed Jesus wanted to talk to her privately. When Mary got the word that Jesus was there, she ran out of the house so, so quickly that the others in the house thought that she uh, was overcome by grief. And so they followed her. The meeting that was supposed to be private ended up public. When Mary saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and she began to cry. The word for cry there is a word that means deep, heavy, loud sobs, almost crying uncontrollably, only able to get out one or two words at a time. Through the sobs, she says, Lord, if you had what? Been here. My brother would not have died. So we know that Martha and Mary had been discussing that, right? Martha has said to Mary, where was Jesus, Mary? If he had been here, Lazarus would still be alive. And Mary would say, you're right, Martha, if he had been here. Both sisters say the same thing through her sobs. Mary says, if you had been here, then he'd still be alive. Look at verse 33. Chapter 11, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. What does that mean? Deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. You know, most of the time we see a picture of Jesus, we think of calmness and serenity, right? always in control. John, who's writing this and who was an eyewitness to this, says he saw Jesus in a different frame. The word translated deeply moved, deeply troubled, indicates a strong display of feeling. It means to shudder. It means to be moved with the deepest emotion. It literally means to snorted in spirit. There is an emotion of anger. One translation says he was deeply indignant. 
The word troubled means stirred or agitated. It describes an inner disturbance. Now again, these are the words that John uses to describe how he sees Jesus react to that. What's going on here? Why was Jesus so worked up? Why was he indignant? Well, certainly he's not mad at Martha and Mary for asking the question. But there's something else going on here. I believe Jesus was indignant, moved in spirit, and deeply troubled, and it was showing because he stood in the middle of death, the result of sin. We've been studying through Genesis. And we saw that God gave Adam and Eve everything they could ever want, everything they could ever need. There was that one command. You, don't, you won't need, you won't even need to partake of this certain tree. If you do, you're going to die, but you don't need to. Always in a command, surrounded by blessing. You don't need to do what I'm commanding you not to do. But they did. And sin entered into the human race. And every disease, and all the destruction, and the devastation, and the damage came from sin. I believe Jesus is responding to the human state. As he stands before this friend, he sees the grief that death brings. He sees the the destruction that sin causes. And he knows that in a matter of days, he is going to be dying on the cross for that sin. And we know that in the garden, he prays, God, if there's Father, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way to pay the penalty for sin, let's do it. I know that's what I came to do, but let's do it. He sweat great drops of blood. There was that intensity. And here he stands in the middle, and he is he's physically moved by this aspect of sin. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held slavery by their fear of death. And so here Jesus is addressing death itself and sin that brings on that death. Chapter 11, verse 35. After he was greatly moved, he asked, Where have you laid him? And they said, Come and see. And then verse 35. If you want a good memory verse, here it is. It's the shortest verse in Scripture. John chapter 11, 35. What? Jesus wept. Now again, we've got to ask the question. Why did Jesus weep? By the way, this is not the loud sobbing that Mary was doing. This word describes uh, just silent tears. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. The emotion reveals the humanity of, of Jesus. He's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But why is it that Jesus was weeping? He wouldn't have been weeping for Mary and Martha. They're going to see their brother alive in just a few minutes. So why would Jesus weep? The Bible says that when the believer dies, we are absent from the body and we're present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians uh, 6 tells us that. Philippians 1 tells us that. So Lazarus is in the grave. 
His body is there, but where is his spirit? It's in heaven. Jesus is the only one there that day who knew the complete joy that Lazarus was experiencing, the laughter, the celebration, the blessing on the other side of the grave, and he's getting ready to call Lazarus back into a sinful world where Lazarus would one day die again. I believe that's why Jesus was weeping. It was all according to God's plan. It was a sign as Jesus was going to the cross. But he knew exactly what Lazarus would be leaving behind. He's not weeping for Martha or Mary. I believe for Lazarus. Jesus stood before the tomb and he told Mary and Martha to roll the stone away. Look at chapter 11, verse 39. Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. It's amazing, isn't it? Jesus, if you'd have been here, you, could, you would have raised him from the dead. Jesus, answer our prayer. And then Jesus gets ready to answer the prayer. And we say, well, well, maybe not. We wanted you to answer it in a different way. We want to be in control from the beginning to end, don't we? God, here's what I want. Here's what I need. Here's the way I want you to do it. Here's the timing of it. Now go get it done so I can praise you. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out in this loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his, his, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. That sets the stage for the last week of Jesus' life, Holy Week, from Palm Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of Jesus, <clears throat> but who else did they come to see? Lazarus, this guy who had been in the grave and now was alive. The guy he raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. All right, let's get ready for communion, and let me leave you with three observations in this passage. Here's the first one. Jesus has always been and always will be the dividing line. The last miracle of Jesus, the last sign before the cross, the triumphal entry... We see the same things happening there that we saw when Jesus was born, right? The wise men were worshiping, worshiping him, Herod putting it, trying to put him to death. Here we see a crowd worshiping him, the religious leaders trying to put him to death. Jesus is always the dividing line. 
You cannot straddle the fence with Jesus. Either in or you're out. Can't say he's just a good teacher. He's just a moral leader. He claimed to be the Son of God. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except what? Through me. See, I'm it. Jesus is the dividing line. You can't believe parts of him. You can't believe some of what he said. You're either in or out. Are you? Here's the question, isn't it? Are you in or out? Some of you may say, well, you know, I don't believe that. I think that's narrow-minded. What about all these other religions? I, I, I believe that if you are sincere, ever heard people say that? I believe if you are sincere, then you're going to go to heaven. At the end of the day, God's going to open up heaven to all who are sincere. He's a God of love, right? Yeah, he's also a God of justice. And when you say, that's what I believe, what are you really saying? I'm my own God. I'll determine my own truth. I don't care what this says. I'll believe what I want to believe when I want to believe it. You see, with Jesus, you're either in or out. He's a dividing line. You cannot follow Jesus in a half-baked way. That's why we talk about following hard after Jesus, because the world desperately needs to see believers who truly are believers and not pretenders. The world desperately needs to see believers who truly demonstrate with their time and with their money and with their possessions, and with their gifts, and with their lives, that they are all in for Christ. The world doesn't really care to see believers who are just like them. Because if you're just like a non-believer, what attraction is there to be a believer? But when you follow Jesus Christ, things change. You live a life of significance, right? We talk about that in Christ. A life of security, a life of forgiveness. You don't just hold grudges all your life. You let things go so you can live in the freedom of forgiveness. God gives you that. You're accepted. You don't have, you don't have to pretend anymore to be someone you're not. You're accepted by God. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's tough in the Christian life. It's tough to obey. Obedience is hard sometimes. But God gives you everything you need to do what he calls you to do. So the question is, are you in or out? Jesus is always a dividing line. Secondly, Jesus is the life giver, and he lets us participate in the process of transformation. I love the story of Lazarus because if you think through it, it's amazing, obviously, an amazing thing. After <clears throat> Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave. Now, Lazarus was bound in grave cloth, right? Even around his face. So, I mean, this guy, he had to hop out of the grave. He can't walk. So he hops out of the grave and he's standing there in four-day-old grave cloth. Jesus has raised him to life. And what's Jesus tell those around him to do? Go unwrap him. Go unwrap him. He tells us to do the same thing. 
The beauty is that only Jesus can call a person from the grave. Only Jesus can transform a person's heart. Only Jesus can take a person, as Ephesians says, is spiritually dead and call them to life. But then he tells us, the church, the community, go unwrap them. First of all, use you as an instrument to share the message. Secondly, I will let them see what it looks like to live this transformed life as you live the transformed life. And then thirdly, I'll let you go unwrap them. I'll let you go take off those grave cloths. Remember, Lazarus is completely bound. He can't get his hands out to unwrap himself. Someone has to go help him. And Jesus delegates that to those around him. And he does the same to us. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever helped someone get their old grave clothes off? Have you ever stood by a new believer and helped them begin their walk with Christ? Have you ever stepped out of your comfort zone to disciple, uh, to help another believer grow? Many of you I know have been through living grounded. And one of the mistakes we made with living grounded, I made this mistake early on. We wanted everyone to go through it, and many people did. And we said, ah, we'll make it a requirement for membership. And so what a lot of people did, they said, okay, I got to do this 20-week thing for membership. Then we made it 12, and everyone said, why didn't I wait? (laughs) Right? And then you went through it, and you said, well, I got that done. Now I can become a member. That's not the purpose of it. That was the mistake I made in communicating it. So let me re-communicate it. Purpose and you, first of all, you're never discipled. That's a, that's a lifelong process. We're always growing. And you didn't go through Living Grounded just to become a member of our church. That's a destination. We wanted you and want you to go through Living Grounded in order to do what? Take other people through it. Take the grave clothes off. Use that tool to take the grave clothes off of other people. Help them embrace the foundational truths of the Christian faith. So if you have been through Living Grounded, your prayer should be, God, who do you want me to take through this? Another guy? Another woman? Man on man, woman on woman, obviously. You're a couple that's been through it? Can you take another couple through it? One on few, in your small group. Man, what a privilege God gives us to go undo the grave cloth, right? And we have the opportunity to do that. I know you don't have time. I know you're busy. So let's just let Lazarus stand there in those four-day-old grave cloths. Because we don't have time. Wouldn't that have been 
Can you imagine if that was the next verse? Jesus, we got to go. We don't have time. Let him stay there. Good job in uh, bringing him back from the dead, by the way. But we'll let someone else do it. Who are you going to help rid themselves of the grave cloth? It's a great question to think about during Easter week, right? Very cool going through Journey to the Cross. We encourage you to do that. Neat testimony we saw. But during this week, we also remember what Jesus did for us. How will we respond? Number three, Jesus alone. Jesus alone is the resurrection and the life. John 11, again, 25, 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And that takes us back to that question, doesn't it? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, it changes the way we live. If we really believe, we're going to pass from death to life. That changes the way we live, doesn't it? Shouldn't it? It's not all about here and now. See, we're getting ready for eternity and getting others ready for eternity. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that's why we do communion. Remember who he is, to remember who he is, not forget. To think about what he's done for us, what he continues to do for us. Every week's Holy Week, every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday. We don't celebrate it one time a year. Every day, every day is Easter. And we get to demonstrate to a watching world what that looks like. And we do that remembering who Jesus is and making sure we never forget.